Good afternoon and welcome to Examining IOMT Vulnerability Management and Incident Response, a health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Assimily. Just a little housekeeping. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You could send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box. We'll take those later in the program. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first, we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Sanjeev Sah, VP and CISO with Centura Health, Paul Carrillo, CISO with Anova Health System, and Shankar Somasundaram, founder and CEO with Assimily. And then we will have our Q&A. So let's jump right in and get started. Lots of important stuff to talk about. Sanjeev, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Anthony, uh, thank you so much. Nice to be with you and, and the panelists. Um, uh, Centur- I serve as a Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for Central Health. Central Health is a um, healthcare system largest uh, in Colorado and also uh, presence in Kansas. Um, providing uh, whole person care to people and communities we serve. Um, we have about um, 17 hospitals, uh, 10 subclinics, uh, soon to be uh, 20 hospitals with a couple of acquisitions that we recently announced. Um, so yes, uh, we are uh, in, in taking care of people in Colorado and Kansas and surrounding areas with uh, services that we provide as a healthcare organization. Very good, thank you, Paul. Good morning, my name is Paul Carrillo. I'm the CISO for uh, Innova Health System. Uh, We're located in Northern Virginia. We have uh, five hospitals and three urgent care centers uh, serving uh, uh, America's finest here in in, near the capital where we focus on uh, uh, primary healthcare, uh, serving the community we have the honor to serve. My, my main duties are focused around, of course, uh, protecting the organization from uh, cyber threats, improving cyber hygiene. So uh, really look forward to having the, the conversation today uh, around that topic. Very good, Paul. Thank you. Shankar. Yeah. Hi, I'm Shankar. I'm the CEO of Assembly. Uh, our focus is really around inventory cybersecurity and operational management of medical and IoT devices, um, exclusively focused on healthcare. And we are working with health systems across the country. All right. Very good, Shankar. Thank you. All right, Sanjeev, we're going to start with you on this. How do you define IOMT? Figure if we get some definitions in here, um, it's a good place to start. Yeah. uh, You know, we think of uh, IOMT as uh, Internet of Things uh, that are medical devices, essentially connected devices that really... um, uh, you know, our critical component of uh, how we provide care um, and how we serve our patients, but also uh, these devices um, uh, present uh, unprecedented challenges. So with definition, uh, that's how I define it. Uh, uh, looking forward to hearing how my colleagues would uh, further uh, expand on that. Paul, thoughts? Uh, yeah, you know, in, in today's medical care environment, we are connecting more and more devices in different ways 
uh, to the network or using network technologies to, to increase communications between devices. So whether it's, whether it's a pump, a wearable, um, a component of a fixed machine that has to communicate uh, this, this mesh of communications uh, is meant for one purpose, and that is to improve uh, 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 patient care, patient uh, uh, outcomes. <clears throat> and the desire is to ensure that these devices can speak efficiently with, with other things. Uh, so uh, where in the past we were pretty comfortable with general compute devices on the network, uh, now going forward, we really have to look at uh, uh, the vast array of different operating systems, communications protocols, uh, and purposes for these devices on, on essentially the same network. So uh, when I look at I, uh, IOMT, uh, I'm thinking that just about anything could be considered a medical device and will probably be connected at some point to the network. Shankar. And uh, I, I would say, you know, so that, that part of going last, I think Sanjeev and Paul have already covered it oh, pretty well. But I think the one thing I would add is, you know, uh, while the focus with IOMT is a lot on the connected medical device and like Sanjeev said, on the critical care and like Paul said, the diversity, there's also a big element of supporting devices in IOMT, which people forget, um, which you generally may not classify as IOMT, but is it, it is as much a part of the medical network as uh, any other device. So for example, think of that server, which effectively stores patient data and the imaging device needs to talk to it to get some of the commands to actually operate. While that server in general might be classified as a server, for all practical purposes, it's a key supporting device in the entire medical device network. Um, so I would say while IOMT does cover these medical devices, critical care devices with diversity, there are some sets of generic, what you would call maybe generic purpose devices that are vital to the essential operation of the workstation or server of this medical device, which should, which do store PHI, which transfer PHI, uh, which doctors use, which required for the operation on the network, which you could broadly encompass in the IoT network as well, because without them, the IoT, uh, the network probably will cease operation or will have adverse effects as well. <clears throat> so Shankar, that's why definitions are important, right? Because if you're not including those supporting devices in your definition of what you're trying to secure, do you think you could actually leave them out of your of what you're of the way you're trying to protect these? IOMT devices, if you don't think of it in the larger sense that you're describing? Have you seen people sort of leave these out of their plan? So that's an interesting question, right? I mean, we work with uh, around 1,800 healthcare sites today, and, you know, it's a wide variety. I think there's a lot of differences in maturity across organizations. There'll be some, um, I mean, if you talk to someone like Paul, I mean, Paul has a high level of sophistication. He gets it. But there'll be some who are still nascent in their programs. And they would say, you know, oh, no, that's the server. That's on the IT workspace server side. We don't really worry about it. Like, we only focus on the ultrasound and the pumps. And the challenge with that approach is, you know, long before, a decade ago, when I, like, started looking at these problems in healthcare, somebody told me healthcare is not a set of devices. It's a system of systems. And that's how I define healthcare. It's a system of systems. And when you have a system of systems where different devices interoperate and work with each other, the challenge that happens is if you really want to look at it, whether it's from an inventory, cybersecurity, uh, incident response, any perspective, you have to account for these, like I would say, core supporting devices because an attack, a threat, an incident could all originate from there, then hit your core critical devices. 
and that could be a problem and you know i remember i used to run the iot business at semantic many years ago and you know when the target attack happened um you know target had actually i mean this is public knowledge now but target had effectively reached out to semantic to run a post mortem analysis on the incident um and then i had a red team that had done the post mortem analysis and one of the things we found is and this is public knowledge now that time we had discovered is the attack came from a power supply which was vital for the atm to function right and that would be call a code supporting device and not incorporating it into the overall environment definitely was a problem in the overall thinking so i would say if you don't incorporate them i think you would leave gaps in your environment very good stuff very good points all right next question um <clears throat> Paul, we're going to start with you on this. How do you define vulnerability management? And is vulnerability management more difficult when it comes to IOMT? Well, I'll start with the second question first. And the short answer is yes, it is more difficult uh, for a lot of various reasons. Part is, is our approach to vulnerability management uh, uh, in, in the perspective that we start from. Um, but uh, defining vulnerability management Really, this is about uh, understanding uh, an organization's threat posture, um, because not every vulnerability should be a concern within your organization. Otherwise, you'll drive yourselves crazy trying to stamp out every vulnerability. So, so this is the management part, is and and that is characterizing vulnerabilities with respect to the environment and the impacts that it can have on the environment. <clears throat> Uh, also, not an easy endeavor. It does take a dedicated team to work on this, but it also takes partnership with various system owners and system custodians so that there's good general knowledge of uh, what the threat exposure looks like. So even a simple information disclosure vulnerability, which may rate very low, might actually turn out to be something of more concern if it's revealing the wrong kind of information. So vulnerability management really is, is around uh, characterizing the vast array of vulnerabilities against, um, against an organization's threat posture. So would you, would you say sort of a step one is you need to inventory and identify all your vulnerabilities, and then there's a ranking that goes in to decide which are the most serious, and then what are we going to do about each one of these that we want to address? It, 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 yes. And that's usually where it goes off the rails, right? Because you stop at step one and you have to identify everything. So everybody stops at step one and waits until they've got everything identified before doing anything else. Um, and that generally just leads to uh, failure. Uh, you, you do have to identify, but it should be a cyclic process to identify and incorporate because we won't have perfect visibility on everything all the time. Uh, you know, and the next step, of course, is coming up with a set of criteria or capabilities to evaluate new and existing vulnerabilities for their impact on the organization. Uh, so it really has to be a, a series of cyclic activities. It's not a single one step, get to the end, and you've reached a stasis, and now you just put it on autopilot. Uh, so it does, and, and again, that speaks to the management piece. It does require uh, management to ensure that that process is robust. Uh, and it is a challenge. It's a challenge in the healthcare environment because we have so many different types of devices, uh, and their exposures vary uh, based on based on the complexity or maturity of those those uh, products or their communication stacks. Yeah, great point that you can't uh, get stuck on step one and and sort of never move beyond that point because you're never done creating that inventory. And we hear that a lot in so many areas of IT, in security, and other areas, which is 
a lot of people's number one piece of advice when we talk about tackling any kind of thing is just get started. <laughs> you just just get started. Just don't get caught up um, in planning. Uh, Sanjeev, your thoughts? Yeah. Well, let me first acknowledge, uh, you know, Shankar made a really uh, wonderful point, which is uh, we do have to think about uh, uh, IOMT as the ecosystem of systems and applications that connect, um, which all together present different sets of challenges uh, within the context of our conversation today. And, and, and Paul is absolutely right. You know, the challenges are, you know, we don't really have all the information needed about devices, right? Uh, manual data collections are uh, prone to gaps, errors, uh, inventories are incomplete, uh, and this is uh, a problem really across the industry uh, unless we have adopted a, a methodology by which we are looking to solve this problem. Uh, it's harder to understand device relationships, right? Uh, then tracking and managing and protecting them is even more difficult. It, it, essentially, uh, operational efficiencies and the gaps uh, that exist uh, can be exploited by attackers or can simply be um, uh, problem to uh, errors uh, or system issues that can result in outages or uh, safety issues uh, for patients um, uh, from biomedical devices. So really, you know, when we look at, uh, for example, um, uh, overall ecosystem that we have uh, that surrounds the IOMT uh, uh, landscape, in that we find... Um, uh, platform vulnerabilities uh, to be the most significant gaps. Um, application vulnerabilities come second. Um, and IoT vulnerability themselves are probably a small third and everything else is probably one or 2%, uh, like a firmware update. So really what is uh, really needed here is a, a good visibility, right? To discover and profile any connected device so that we have automatically maintain a comprehensive up-to-date inventory, right? That's one. Then we got to have good insights, right? Analyze risk to stay safe and operate efficiently. Um, and operate efficiently also means managing vulnerability in uh, uh, efficiently in the manner Paul uh, talked about it earlier. You got to understand your uh, devices. You got to understand the, the type of vulnerabilities they have and have the right context. Most importantly, I would say, somehow we have to be able to detect anomalies in the entire ecosystem and the landscape of assets we are talking about. That cannot be a manual effort. Manual efforts are absolutely not good enough um, to be able to manage the level of threat and vulnerability that exist. So data-driven uh, management and security decisions become critically important. I'll pause there uh, to see what my colleagues would uh, uh, add uh, to what I've shared. Uh, Shankar, your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think great points from Sanjeev and Paul. So I had a couple of things. So one is obviously from vulnerability management, like purely it's the entire process of identifying, classifying, prioritizing, remediation, mitigation, right? That's the entire process of vulnerability management. And if you look across those five, five or six steps, right? It is more difficult than IoT because if you look at the identification process, you have so many legacy devices in the environment. You can't just go scanning all of, all of them. Many of them won't even tolerate the scan, then crash. If you look at it from a classifying and prioritizing, it's more challenging in IoT because if you go look at like on an average, 
like uh, we have seen like over a month you can have 2000 vulnerabilities 3000 vulnerabilities getting published last year there was that was the average and then a manufacturer publishes one patch for every uh, good manufacturer maybe one every 50 i mean some of the manufacturers are one every 1000 so you don't have enough patches coming out if you look at it from a remediation and uh, mitigation perspective people you fall fall back on segmentation the segmentation i mean i've been in networking for 20 years segmentation doesn't always cure the problem and then once you segment it maintaining that over let's say 3 years or 5 years can be an enormous challenge Seg- segments start well and become flat over time uh, i almost call every segment a flat segment like a flat network everything becomes a flat network so that creates enormous challenges in iomt because you can't scan many of these devices um, you you don't really have enough patches uh it's these are very complex systems so you can't just segment them out and if you segment them you bring in more devices on a monthly basis and suddenly your network becomes flat within a year and you don't even know which devices with what segment anymore mm-hmm. so there are fundamental challenges and then to add to it you know one important point that um, you know paul also mentioned take that information disclosure vulnerability right uh, on an average like you say an information disclosure vulnerability what is the risk but if you go back to the system of systems point in healthcare it's even more important to think of vulnerabilities as a chain of attacks rather than a singular point in time right. and so they have this attack vector and attack chain they talk a lot about in mitre and so on it becomes even more critical to think about that in healthcare because an information disclosure might not be impactful on its own device like you probably don't have any data to steal on an infusion pump anyway but through that you can use that as the launch pad to go steal data from a server and so the system of systems that also sanjeev alluded to that creates a second level of problem in healthcare because these vulnerabilities now can be exploited in ways that you normally wouldn't see right but there are benefits in healthcare that are not there in other environments and so if you look at it from an exploitability perspective what we have seen at assembly if you take like a thousand vulnerabilities i would say 90% of them would not even be exploitable in a given environment what i mean by exploitability is can an attacker take advantage of that vulnerability in that environment and our analysis shows consistently if you do that kind of exploit analysis feature looking 90% of them would not even be a concern and what the 90% it would change from one environment to the other you got mm. to do it on a per environment basis but if you do that environment specific analysis in an automated way you'll find that most of them are not really a problem and then if you do some prioritization based on impact in healthcare there is a benefit because of the way the devices work that you can really prioritize on a critical few and then if you do the anomaly detection that sanjeev mentioned then you can further prioritize so there are some benefits to okay so you guys go ahead well, you just blew my mind there was there was a tremendous amount there um yeah a really interesting point so you're saying 90% of the things you find are not going to be a big problem 10% are but those 90% will change depending from what organization to the next correct yeah even from one facility to the next sometimes we see variations within the same organization on what vulnerabilities have a problem because it does depend on the way the device is connected what it's connected to what are the surrounding devices uh how is it being used there's a lot of factors here um and that's what attackers try to take advantage of right uh, the same vulnerability they try to attack different environments differently because you know every vulnerability has its own exploit vector and that changes from one environment to the other well let's keep paul let's keep talking about this anything you want to touch on you know sanjeev painted a oh, sorry shankar painted a pretty uh daunting picture um you can't scan a lot of these devices because they're too delicate segmentation may not be is as wonderful as some people make it out to be it sounds quite challenging um talked about patches 
And he talked about the fact that um, some of these devices in and of themselves uh, don't seem like they have a lot to offer other than as a pathway to get into the system of systems. So it's a pretty daunting picture. Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, uh, we, we, when we implement countermeasures, we're thinking that countermeasure is going to cover a lot of ground. And sometimes it starts by covering quite a bit of ground, maybe not completely, but sometimes it starts by doing that. Uh, segmentation is one of those. But over time, we punch more and more holes into that segment. Uh, we create more and more avenues of approach. Uh, and before we realize it, we're back to a near flat environment, but with the complexity of maintaining all the rule sets to try to give the appearance of segmentation. So that, that creates complexity that, that needs to be managed. Um, but more importantly, it's, it's about understanding the pattern of life of the machines that are running in our environment, the relationships they create, uh, the dependencies that exist, uh, and having an ability to see what that map looks like and then ask subject matters subject subject matter experts uh, who care for those systems um, about those situations so that so that anomalies can be detected. And, and Shankar mentioned this. So so anomaly detection is particularly important. Whether it's an outlier or a change in the pattern, uh, that's particularly important because that's something new. And that could that new thing could be just normal, could be normal operations. Maybe we implemented a change in, in the system and that didn't flow to the cyber team. Um, or maybe it's it's a threat actor who is who's established a beachhead on on our pumps and is looking for other more lucrative targets. We won't know until we address the anomaly. So that gets particularly important, and and that's really where you know having an inventory is 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 great, but we know inventories are static and sometimes they have holes. Um, but it's the relationships between the devices that that become really much more important in, in an environment like that. I like to see segmentation in an environment, uh, but where segmentation has gotten overly complex, it's now defeating the purpose. It's, it takes more management to maintain the segmentation and customer experience than, than the value we're getting from creating the segmentation in the first place. So there is a balance here, and it's different for every organization, just as the vulnerabilities that present um, uh, will have a different impact on organizations. So it sounds very daunting. It almost sounds like, you know, every organization will have a unique program mm -hmm. <laughs> tailored mm -hmm. to their specific environment. Um, there are some commonalities in that, um, but by and large, the threat exposure varies based on, uh, based on how an organization has approached, uh, approached this uh, communication conundrum. Sanjeev, uh, we talked about detecting anomalies and how important that is. And you mentioned that that cannot be a manual type of thing that's got to be automated. Um, anything else you want to discuss around that or anything Paul said? Yeah, it, you know, uh, what I'm hearing uh, from my uh, friends is that it, it is a uh, unprecedented challenge, you know, in managing uh, threats uh, that surround IOMT uh, devices and landscape. Although, you know, we need to employ an approach that that gives us an advantage, gives us a defensible posture. Uh, and, and to be able to do that, uh, I think we've discussed some of the um, basic uh, uh, concepts that can be leveraged. Uh, one is simply uh, having a clinical cyber hygiene. Uh, network segmentation do give us uh, an advantage uh, in terms of defensible posture. Uh, although we all agree that's not 
uh, enough. So let's, um, you know, kind of think about it in terms of why are we trying to manage these assets and why are we trying to manage vulnerabilities, right? Uh, there are a couple of um, uh, things that go through our viewpoint, and I, I reckon uh, my friends will agree, which is, uh, one, we're trying to prevent any catastrophic uh, damage caused by cyber threat that takes out or disrupts uh, patient care operations because these devices um, that belong to a certain network segment or a flat network are no longer available uh, in the ecosystem. The second uh, way of uh, thinking about the risk itself is a harm to patient because of a malfunction or, or uh, lack of availability of a device, either because you had a network issue or you have a device issue, and uh, maybe it was caused by a patching event. Uh, my, my point simply is that there are uh, big issues we're trying to resolve from an operations perspective, but we're also trying to address uh, patient safety risks uh, that may be a bit more localized um, you know, when we talk about these IOMT devices. So if you think about it in those perspectives, we need to think about what safeguards can you employ to prevent that damage from occurring uh, in the manner that you would if we didn't have the defensible posture. So I don't think we ought to let go of network segmentation because what that does, it it limits the damage to a certain segment if you have a problem. And no, it's not enough by itself. Uh, That's why you have to employ other techniques uh, within that uh, safeguard posture uh, that includes uh, just managing hygiene of these devices, for example, and meaning managing the vulnerabilities associated with that. And how we go about doing that, uh, you know, we can employ a risk framework. We can look at uh, a risk score, uh, simulate that, uh, you know, have an orchestrated vulnerability scanning that doesn't disrupt operations of these devices and have a remediation recommendation uh, similar to what Shankar talked about earlier, uh, which is a bit more programmatic and you have a better lens of which vulnerabilities you manage that gives you the best advantage. Um, and then when we talked about, uh, you know, the different types of threats and, 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 and how you safeguard against them, well, imagine a world where you know about your devices, you, you have good information for them, and you have a good tracking uh, and management for it. Well, now we can manage network policies with the visibility of the infrastructure that we didn't have earlier. Uh, we can then reduce device risks and uh, by strengthening that security posture. Uh, so the, the rules that we're talking about in terms of segmentation are no longer static, but they're more of a dynamic network policies that go on to uh, address these risks. And then that advantage you can translate into having meaningful uh, partners, uh, meaningful integration with partners that serves the overall ecosystem uh, and then gives us all a better defensible posture. So I would like to promote the concept of a better defensible posture than having some absolute security posture that is hard to achieve, I'll admit, with IOMTs. Paul, I see. Oh, oh, go ahead, Shankar, and then we'll go to Paul. And I think uh, Sanjeev made a great point, right? I would say if we up-level this entire discussion of vulnerability management and broadly call it risk management, then I would say 
how do you define risk management and risk manage vulnerability management becomes an aspect of it then segmentation dynamic segmentation integration prioritization everything can fall under it and then you can choose to do it depending on what your organization needs the most right so then the problem appears less daunting because you're reducing risk sorry paul i didn't want to no it's all right so you know um spot on absolutely spot on uh, we're in the business of trying to make patient care easier uh, 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 and uh, delivered when 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 needed by the clinicians, right? <clears throat> the other aspect of that is to increase the costs of those that would look to abuse those systems. And that's where we've got uh, 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 software-defined networks, profiles, segmentation, the countermeasures that we bring to bear. Um, you know, we're, we'd like to believe we can stop every threat, but that's not going to happen. Uh, but what we should be doing is making it costly enough that somebody who would consider to abusing the network decides that it's not a value add to them and they look elsewhere, they go elsewhere. Um, you know, that's really the right, right thought, I think, in terms of crafting good countermeasures. They need to be good enough that the cost of abusing systems is just not manageable for the threat, right? Because, you know, if, if unless they're that terribly determined, uh, they're probably not going to stick around for very long. Um, <clears throat> so I have lots of conversations with system owners uh, and with, with our vendors uh, just on that point. Uh, I know we can't get to perfect. I know that some of the devices uh, just simply don't have those capabilities built in, but what can we do to make them less, less of a target? Um, so you know, eliminating services running on devices that don't need to be there, for instance. Um, you know, those those are the discussions that that I'm having now with uh, with biomedical manufacturers and and other IoT manufacturers. Uh, so I certainly welcome the dialogue because in a lot of cases, uh, the, the dialogue just simply hasn't been there. Paul, I think I would add. You know, uh, this is an area that's evolving, right? Um, uh, you know, the use of IOMTs are ever increasing. Uh, the demand for uh, the assets uh, for clinical care uh, is ever so more. Uh, not uh, all organizations have the management of these assets centralized in a way that we can be most effective in terms of uh, the security of it. So there are lots of challenges, uh, but you make a good point. You know, you just got to uh, get started with uh, knowing your inventory, managed versus unmanaged. And then um, uh, to Sunker's uh, point earlier, employing uh, approaches that then gives us a risk management approach in how we look at these devices and assets. Sankar, anything you want to add there? I think we covered it all. Um, yeah, I would say just, I mean, I think we covered it all. I think the last thing I would just say is, I mean, when it all appears daunting, right? I mean, the fundamental characteristics of the devices, like I said, allows you to prioritize a lot more than you would be able to do with IT workstations and servers if you look at it carefully because of the way they are used, the way they are purposed, the way they are connected. So when you actually look at the details, the problem might not be as daunting as it appears initially. Um, and you might be able to prioritize and focus a lot better than you would be able to do with IT workstations and servers. Anthony, maybe I'll add something else. Uh, uh, Sankar just reminded me of this. Uh, you know, uh, earlier I mentioned that platform vulnerabilities 
at least uh, you know in when we look at our landscape account for 65 some percent of vulnerabilities application vulnerabilities are probably 30 percent and and iot vulnerabilities maybe five six percent and everything else uh, you know like firmware accounts for remainder one or two so the challenge is still with platform vulnerability application vulnerability uh, in a largely speaking and and uh, I, I don't want to forget the point Shankar made earlier. It's about the ecosystem, you know. So platform vulnerabilities uh, are something that is even harder to address when it comes to IOMT devices because you know some of them um, have gone through FDA approval process, certificate process, and so changing the nature of that asset isn't as easy. So I think we got to remember, you know, what type of vulnerabilities are typically present. In, and when we think about the ecosystem, and again, our ecosystem uh, is uh, one flavor and, and one facility to another health system could be very different. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, that that um, lens is very important in terms of what um, approaches we can all adopt in terms of risk management of it. Yeah, Sanjeev, really- uh, just for the audience, sorry, Paul, go ahead. I was going to say, that's a really good point. And, and really incorporating the discussion, risk into the discussion with, with our business partners, our clinical partners, because we may come to the decision point that uh, the particular device and, and the purpose that it serves just brings too much rich risk to the organization. That has to be a comprehensive discussion, though. That can't be a IT decided we can't use a thing. It's that's not going to work. We we need to understand what that particular piece of equipment does and what value it brings to uh, patient care, uh, because we might adopt a riskier position even if we can't apply appropriate countermeasures because of what it what it does. The ECMO machines are kind of an example of that. Although I don't have anything specific with those, but you know, ECMO machines are, were kind of important here in the last couple of years. Uh, so we weren't going to shut any of those off regardless of what was going on with those, those machines, right? So those, those are the kind of decision points and that we need to elevate to a, to a broader discussion and include our, our business partners as well. Uh, Paul, that's an interesting point. And could you tell me more about, because, you know, 10, 15 years ago, security was not speaking with clinicians. Right. I mean, that wasn't happening a lot. Now it has to happen. There has to be discussion between security executives and clinicians where security executives are describing the risk situation created by a particular piece of medical equipment and explaining it in the layman's in the best Mm -hmm. non-technical IT terms they can to get across the situation. The clinician is going to respond and try and describe in the best terms they can to you the value that vice device brings to the work they do. Right. Someone ultimately has to decide whether or not that risk is going to be accepted. I'm not sure if that is the chief medical officer who's going to say, well, I'm willing to take all that risk on because we need this. Can you tell me more about how that dynamic might actually play out? Uh, certainly. So it, it depends on the gravity of the situation. We've had some of those decisions go right up to the top and, and we've had cabinet level discussions about certain aspects and certain risks. Um, some of those risks are, are a, you know kind of a lower level type risk, and that might be, say, a service line or site of care discussion. 
uh, you know, is, is this the right direction for us organizationally? Um, so it, it starts by having the conversation. I do rounding in, in the clinical areas and I, and I talk with nurses and um, um, uh, nurse managers and uh, directors and, and, and others in the, in the care space um, just to circulate and take some feedback and have the discussion from, uh, you know, just from a, a human perspective about the, the challenges that they're facing. Um, uh, and from there, that may, that may develop into a larger risk discussion around certain, well, cameras is, a, is, a, is another one, NICU cameras. Uh, rather important during the last couple of years because of the isolation measures that 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 were implemented. Well, NICU cameras or cameras in general are generally pretty easy to knock over, um, but it's providing um, a, a, a much needed service. In this case, new parents can see their their infants, especially if they're in the NICU, right? So those are the kind of challenges that we should be seeking to to resolve, not the well, find a better camera or, or you can't have this device connected to the network. That doesn't solve any problems. Uh, the problem to solve is, well, how are we going to ensure that uh, parents of newborns in the NICU can actually see their, 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 their newborn because they can't go in and hold their newborn, right? That's, that's the more important discussion to have with our, with our clinicians and our, and our business partners. And Sanjeev, I think that's a very interesting dynamic that is taking place is that, Security executives must truly understand the workings of the health system to the device level, must be comfortable having really back and forth engaging conversations with clinical leaders to, again, present the risk and understand the value. And then, again, that, that, that ultimate decision process can go in any number of directions. But you have to be comfortable as a security leader to get to that level. Is that correct? Anthony, uh, uh, you know, you, you make a wonderful point, uh, and it's absolutely correct. In the manner that we approach the topic uh, of, of cyber risk, and then IOMT is a component of that, is we, we take a multi-pronged approach, right? Uh, we have a governing uh, body that uh, is uh, may, um, a combination of uh, very senior level executives. We have an opera- operations-focused uh, security council, that brings together not just the technical uh, uh, minds, but also operational uh, leaders into that conversation. Um, and we uh, highlight uh, risks around security at a level of depth appropriate uh, at each level of conversation uh, to bring insights and seek input. Um, and we work on this issue in a very collaborative way uh, similar to point that that Paul um, uh, very artfully made, uh, you know, the the business that we are in is to care for our patients and and, and the experience and and supporting families, uh, and and the use case that uh, Paul referenced uh, of a, of a child and childbirth or a care of a child and where we need a family's interactions, I think. First and foremost, what we try to do is think about clinical workflows, technology innovation, cybersecurity innovations that can go on to support and enable that. That is our uh, on the forefront. What we don't let go at the same time is ensuring that safe and secure operations ultimately deliver uh, the patient care that that we all uh, envision and also 
do it in a way that is a uh, safe operation. So both of those uh, uh, governance uh, uh, model aspects are e- extremely important. Also important is the part when a new device comes into the environment, we actually perform a technical evaluation of it to ensure it, it is architecturally fit for our uh, 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 ecosystem and landscape. And we don't say no to uh, every asset necessarily or say yes to all assets. What we do is employ a risk-based model that says, if we go ahead and employ this asset, because it has a tremendous value for uh, uh, healthcare operations, then what we do is we try to provide a, um, a mitigation approach in how that device or asset can then be adopted into the system. Uh, all that to say is, it is a collaboration with our CMIO, our CNIO, clinical leaders, but, but also technical partnership to make the right decision every single time uh, for our organization. And when we do it collaboratively, we ultimately end up achieving better outcomes. Uh, again, this is not uh, something that we always had. Uh, this is uh, a, a process that has evolved over the years. And in the last, uh, I will say, you know, 12 to 24 months, uh, we've gained some momentum and proper ground to have the kind of discussions and the kind of deliberations and kind of outcomes uh, that I know my friends and colleagues also desire. Shankar, so what we're hearing is obviously the reasonable approach from reasonable CISOs, which is we, we're not the department of now, but we are here to make sure that the organization doesn't take on more risk than it wants to. Um, but I would imagine you've also seen some organizations that are still not bringing in the CISO and security personnel at the beginning of the process when they start looking at product and then the security team has to play catch up and then sometimes play the bad guy because this was just unacceptable. Like we can't even make this thing better. <laughs> this one's too risky. You shouldn't even have looked at this. So are you seeing, you're seeing the gamut. Are you seeing the gamut from organizations that bring security in at the beginning to organizations that are bringing, not even bringing security in until security happens to hear about it. Is that still going on out there? Yeah, very much. I would say, I mean, you have the entire spectrum, right? You have organizations which effectively where the CISO is a key decision maker and whether we should buy a device or not to organizations who say the CISO is an influencer, but sometimes clinical needs override, you know, during the pandemic, clinical needs rightly in some cases override any other need. And so you take that into account, you put mitigating controls in place, but you can't make that as a primary decision. I've seen that. Whereas I've seen organizations who are saying, you know what, why do we even care about security? Let's worry about security later after we deploy it. And the problem is when you do that, you're always playing catch up. You already discussed all the challenges with existing devices. Now you bring in new devices and now the CISO or the security organization and even the medical device risk officers, they're constantly playing catch up because on an average, we have seen health systems are churning 15% of their devices every year. So you add 15% to a large inventory, existing inventory. I, I mean, you got to solve it at the problem. And I, I mean, it's amazing that, you know, uh, Sanjeev, Paul, you guys are already looking at it. Uh, you're obviously one of the more advanced CISOs in the industry, but there are many out there who probably think of it as a future problem, whereas you can't really separate that as a future and current. They're all part of one big problem. You've got to address them as a whole. Yeah, Sankar, I think the point that you made there is a journey, right? We all have to start yeah. somewhere 
And not all of us have had an opportunity to start a journey at the same time. Uh, but I think deliberate effort um, and intentional collaboration mm-hmm. are uh, two really important pieces to ensure security has the right seat, right voice, but also has a business uh, mindset and context to serve the organization uh, well. And I think all of those come together and it comes together over time. It doesn't happen just yeah. because we want it one day. I think that's the, the point that I will make um, and, and, and uh, I invite uh, all security practitioners and leaders out there to you know, uh, think of this as a journey to, to make the ultimate progress that we all desire to make. Great point. Shankar, how would you describe the level of clinical knowledge and familiarity that you need to have to be a successful CISO? How much do you need to understand about what goes on in the clinical side? You don't need to be, be a doctor. We're not saying that. But you have to have some clue of what this stuff does. And maybe it's something you learn over time, but it's got to be an interest of yours, right? I mean, you have to be interested in the workings of these devices. So I would say, you know, there's so much nuances to medical devices and this environment that it's very hard. And the CISO has so much security technology. Every day there's a new security technology. It's very hard. A CISO's hard role, and, you know, we have two CISOs. I don't have to talk for them. It's fundamentally a very hard role. Because you have to keep track of the security technology, keep track of threats, understand your own landscape, and then convince your board that everything you're doing has an ROI associated with it. Right? I mean, it's a really challenging role. So in this kind of environment, it's very hard for a CISO to know the nuances and knowing something half and at a very high level may not help. So I think the bigger, more important thing is to have a collaborative and partnership and be willing to listen with other key stakeholders in your organization who probably understand this really well. And like you said, I think it's the curiosity and the interest that's more yeah. important than the knowledge. Because if you have that interest and you have your right partner, and if you're willing to listen, then I think at the right moment, you can find the person in your organization and there should be people in your organization who know something about the device, something about the capability, what you should look at, uh, and really get that information to really solve it. And I think that's a CISO is more of a facilitator rather than the knowledge base is how I see it. Uh, who facilitates the entire action and who's willing to listen, absorb, and then transmit rather than just know everything all by yourself. I think that could be extremely challenging. Paul, and I think what I'm trying to get at, you know, it's when you talk about the rounding, you know, the importance of rounding. I think that's the kind of familiarity I'm talking about is to understand what's going on in the hospital. Maybe not to the device level, but you tell me. I mean, how, how, how's your knowledge of, of what these things do that you're securing? Yeah, so the device level is important, but you you can't go, I don't do rounding from the perspective of I'm going to learn about devices. It's more of a a, a kind of an accidental knowledge gain when I'm doing that. What I'm really doing there is understanding what the clinical workflow is, Mm -hmm. what services are we delivering, what challenges to delivering that service actually exist. Because the people I'm speaking with in in those situations largely don't understand technology at all, except from a consumer perspective. Um, And we didn't hire them to understand technology really at all. We hired them to do patient care. Um, So it's really, you know, that effort is really about bridging the gap and learning. So one one of the key aspects, I think, to being a successful CISO is you've got to want to learn. Um, and one of the things you need to learn is well, how do hospitals and health systems operate? Uh, 
and so that's really the key aspect there is is to is to engage and um, be willing to learn about what's happening in that space and that's true with with any any sector that a CISO is actually serving in um, <clears throat> but more so I think in the healthcare space because it is so dynamic we're looking for innovations in care not so much innovations in technology innovations in technology can increase innovations in care but it's really innovations in care that that the clinicians and the, and the physicians are, are really interested in. So Anthony, uh, Shankar and Paul have just made us uh, CISOs really human and real, and we are not uh, ever claiming to be all knowledgeable about everything, right? I think that's where really the important part is, uh, we may come up with different types of um, uh, uh, how we grew up grew into our CISO roles. And so it's really important to surround ourselves with uh, teammates that uh, go on to further complement um, gaps that we may have as, as individuals, but still able to serve the full context of the CISO role. Second part that uh, is even more important and, and, and both Paul and Shankar have alluded to being able to have the right conversation with your stakeholders to either uh, promote better security, advocate uh, a, a case, or saying uh, as sometimes a very hard, difficult uh, thing uh, that this particular proposition has enormous risk to the mm -hmm. organization, and here's why. What I have found in all my experience and as I've been growing myself uh, in my own CISO role over the years, is that you find colleagues uh, who are uh, receptive, willing to listen, and willing to lend support in how best to address uh, and manage that risk. Um, and it's rare where somebody wants to take on risks that are really not good for the organization or good for uh, patient care operations that that, that we're all uh, you know talking about. Very good. All right, I want to jump in here with the audience question. We have two audience questions. I want to I want to get to. Uh, I'm going to read it. I think one of the biggest challenges in IT security always comes down to the personnel in the organization and educating the non-IT coworkers on their role in network security. An example could be a medical device that has a USB port. And the unsuspecting coworker decides to use that port to charge a cell phone or an iPad and opens the network to vulnerability. How are you educating non-IT personnel of your organization on the role that they play in security? How effective do you think that education is for your organization? Paul? Oh, yeah, there's a variety of methods here. Uh, the go-to is the annual training, which that serves a purpose. It's a compliance check block. Yeah, we do that. Um, but its effectiveness is next to nil. Uh, uh, I've actually changed our program entirely. Uh, so we do do quarterly trainings, uh, targeted focus trainings, but we do so much more. There's, we have this communication we call the five and five. So occasionally we'll have a spot there during roundings, uh, interactions between team members. So we're always promulgating the message, talking about uh, security aspects as opportunities arise. Uh, what I find is we're human. As 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 humans learn, they learn best at the point that that information is most impactful. 
So as I'm rounding, if I am seeing behaviors, we'll have a discussion around those, those behaviors and, and why that's bad practice. Uh, that also means that you have to be rather present in order to see those kinds of things and then encourage others to have the same conversations. Probably the single force multiplier um, I, I currently enjoy is my peer group is actually promulgating the same messages that I've been promulgating here for the last two years. And that's refreshing. I, I come into a meeting or I hear by a side story that uh, uh, that one of my peers is, is pushing on a particular agenda and has shared information around cyber risk I, that I didn't prompt. Uh, and that's, and that's a, that's a refreshing, um, refreshing view, I think, uh, because it's not just me carrying the message. It's all of us in the leadership position carrying the message. All right. One more question. I'm going to give it to you, Sanjeev. Um, the use of an IOMT solution, such as a simile, allows the exploitation of the computerized maintenance management software in use by your clinical engineering team. How are you using this opportunity in your facilities? Have you integrated your IOMT tool with clinical engineering CMMS database for better clarity in identifying medical devices and vulnerabilities found on the network? Yeah, another uh, great question. Uh, I'll go ahead and admit that our journey of using an IOMT solution is fairly new. And so we have uh, employed the, the technology solution that gives us a full perspective on our assets uh, in the landscape, uh, what vulnerabilities um, exist, uh, what our remediation approach and plans are, um, and we are developing integrated processes with clinical engineering, IT, and even business owners of those assets to facilitate uh, uh, more uh, uh, regimented, understood, workable process that the question really alludes to. Uh, we are not where we want to be in terms of the, uh, the, the efficiency of it or even the uh, optimization of the process. Nevertheless, we do have the clinical engineering as well as IT working together on um, um, assessing and managing risk associated with uh, IoT uh, and IOMT devices as they come into our environment going forward. But we do have a historical uh, set of assets still to manage in the, in the way that we've been talking about so far. All right. I'm going to do a lightning round of final thoughts. We're almost out of time. So I'd like to get a final piece of advice from everyone for your CISO colleagues who are dealing with this IOT, IOMT challenge. Uh, Paul, let's start with you. Final piece of advice. Uh, be flexible. Uh, enlist partners to help carry the message. Um, uh, and and get out there in the healthcare environment and, and talk to folks. So think about the last time you've actually been in a unit talking with folks. So, so that, that would be my advice is, is just get out there and engage. Um, and uh, the rest of it will start to make sense. Sanjeev? Yes, uh, similar to what Paul said, um, just being very uh, operations business centric in approach of how technology and cyber ought to enable and transform uh, patient care operations and capabilities uh, as well as experience, but keeping in mind 
that cybersecurity is equally important, uh, especially in our roles as CISOs and cybersecurity practitioner uh, and, and, and methodical approach to solving for that problem over time is, a, is the right uh, approach. Uh, there is no silver bullet, but a defensible posture gives us an opportunity to defend operations, protect our people, and most importantly, safeguard care to our patients. Very good. Shankar, we'll give you the final word. Yeah, thank you. So I'll take a line from what Sanjeev said. The entire thing is a journey. And so what I would recommend is not be daunted by the challenge. It's a challenging thing, but not be daunted. And start somewhere, work through the steps. And ultimately, it's a risk management problem. So every step you take is breaking down the risk in some measure. And if you keep at the journey, I think you're going to reach a very strong posture while improving the overall organization efficiency as well. All right. Very good. That's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and you can go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, Sanjeev Sah, Paul Carrillo, and Shankar Somasundaram. And I want to thank Assimile for sponsoring this event and thank you for attending. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.